Good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are, and welcome to the Politics Guys with your hosts, Dave Carson and Michael Darnowski. Welcome to the Politics Guys. I'm Michael Baranowski, a political scientist at Northern Kentucky University. My co-host this week, as always, is Cleveland Area Attorney and sometime Republican strategist Jay Carson. So welcome everyone to this special listener mail edition of Ask the Politics Guys. We've got all kinds of mail and let's just get right into it if that's okay, Jay. Yeah, let's go. Okay, well, first we have Gustavo who's become one of our growing number of monthly sustaining supporters through Patreon. Uh, Gustavo writes, I've started looking forward each week to hear from both of you on your podcast. I'm a med student at Stanford, but originally from San Diego. If you wouldn't mind, and if you haven't already, I would like to hear your thoughts on the status of the National Democratic Party and what they should do to turn around their weak position at every level of government. Here's my take. In response to the populist overthrow by the Republican base, the Democrats should fight populist anger with populist anger. People, especially Rust Belt voters, are tired of neoliberal policies that enable capitalists to move overseas while forgetting the working class. Keith Ellison, Sanders, and other populists should be placed front and center to court these voters. Thank you for your awesome show. Thank you, Gustavo. Yeah, so... um. And Gustavo, who is who's a med student in Stanford, is is plainly much smarter than than both of us put together. So, you know, sort of, <laughs> Pretty good school, Stanford. We're, we're a little bit intimidated by answering, but yeah. But you know, I, I guess I'll I guess I'll start off with this because it's addressed to sort of the problems with my party, and I think that there are a lot of very smart people who would absolutely agree with you that the problem with the National Democratic Party is that. They've forgotten who they are and that they've just become some sort of squishy middle kind of center left sort of people. There's no fire. There's no enthusiasm. Uh, And I think that you can make a reasonable argument. Uh, And certainly Keith Ellison had made that. Bernie Sanders made that. It's a reasonable argument, but it's one with which I absolutely disagree. Uh, I think that if you take a look at President Obama, President Obama really wasn't one of those folks He certainly is to the right of, say, Bernie Sanders. And so I don't think it's so much policies. I think it's, in in terms of candidates at least, I think it's personality. I've said this before. I thought Hillary Clinton was an absolutely dreadful candidate, quite possibly one of the worst that the Democrats could have picked with so much, so much baggage. And, And I think that the way to reach voters is not to go further out to the left, I think the way to reach voters is to try to craft some sort of agenda, some set of policies that can be more broadly inclusive. I feel that President Obama, when he was a candidate, especially the first first time, did an excellent job of this. Obviously, he had some personal qualities that were, as a candidate, that made him far superior to Hillary Clinton. But on the national level... I don't think that Democrats should get too freaked out. I think this was kind of a one-off sort of thing. Now, on the on the just, just like Brexit. Well, you know, on, on the on the congressional level, I think there are more issues, but I think part of that is that one of the big problems with Democrats uh, in the Obama years 
was that they stopped paying attention to their farm system. The, and at the same time, after the 2010 elections, uh, Republicans organized in a really strong way at all levels. And so they did a lot of that grunt work in the trenches that really paid off for them in a significant way, uh, really starting from actually President Obama's uh, election in 2008. Now, Democrats need to make up some ground. I think they're going to do this. But and again, as sort of temperamentally a conservative, I think that there's an understandable reaction to want to do big things, make big changes when you face when you're faced with some losses or some setbacks. And I think that nine times out of 10, that's an overcorrection and you're going to regret doing it in the first place. And so I think the sort of work that Democrats need to do is that boring, uh, non-sexy sort of in the trenches type of work that President Obama, that the former Attorney General Eric Holder, and that a lot of Democrats have said they're going to do. And I think the party's going to be just fine. Jay? Um, well, I mean, it's sort of weird for me to give advice to Democrats. Um, you know, the, the biggest thing that I, I think is the Democrats have alienated themselves is moving away from uh, economic issues. And I, I agree with Gustavo there. And I think there's a couple things that drive that. Um, some of some of it is just the, the way the economy has changed. And that's that's not that anyone even necessarily did anything. It's, uh, you know, I think a lot of times politics uh, doesn't doesn't guide the economy. It sort of reflects the economy. It's sort of a, a lagging indicator, Good if point. you will. Yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, 20, 30 years ago, uh, union membership was much different than what it is now. Um, Before and, Republicans uh, destroyed the unions. Industrial, yeah. industrial uh, private sector unions, you do not have that today. Uh, the, the primary base is more in, in government uh, unions, uh, government workers, teachers unions, uh, so forth. Um, likewise, the other big uh, components have been playing the identity politics game. And I think that is a, a big turnoff to a lot of uh, let's call them the Reagan Democrats type uh, type voters. Uh, these these Rust Belt folks who uh, who who are you know in many ways tired of getting lectured about you know they're misogynist they're the racist or so forth. Um, and and you know the this shows up where you had a lot of these these uh, districts in places in like Wisconsin and Michigan and and, and Ohio and Pennsylvania. Um, where Obama carried the uh, the, the district uh, in in both twenty and two thousand eight and twenty twelve and lost them now, um, the sense is these these groups did you know the people living there did not overnight become racist or something like that. In fact, sure. um, they're sort of troubled by by being claimed that they are. They're voting their economic interest, which yeah. if you look historically, that is is what people tend to do. Um, consistently, and and uh, I, I think I think Gustavo's right in that. Uh, Democrats need to turn uh, turn their attention yeah. more to economic issues. Now, uh, now again, I, I think uh, Sanders is is the wrong way to go. I mean, this sort of full on socialism sort of well, give away free stuff. Uh, so I, I think there needs to be sort of a retrenching and coming up with some sort of a new new democratic uh, economic platform that. Yeah. That, that says, listen, here's 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 what we're about, um, and I don't really see that yet, other than the the Bernie Sanders uh, give people free stuff, um, uh, you know. And I think I think there needs to be that middle ground, and I haven't seen either the the philosophy or the the person uh, to, to you know articulate 
circulated yet. Yeah. You know, I, one final thing before we move on to our next uh, our next listener mail question is I think there there are many advantages to being older, but one of them is that you've seen a lot of these shifts back and forth before, you know, and, and when I was back in the 90s and the 80s when we were both much, much younger, Jay. Yeah. Everything back when you used back when you used to call me a, like a, a pinko commie that, sort of. That's right. Uh, but but, you know, what, when, when you see these things for the first time, they they seem so momentous and so permanent because you haven't been quite around quite long enough to see these shifts back and forth. And I mean, the system, I have a lot of faith in our system in the end, and I, I have a lot of belief in the sort of the wisdom of uh, or the goodness of a two-party system with two fairly competitive parties, things shift back and forth. They always have, and, and I think they, they always will, at least for the foreseeable future. So I would say to Democrats who are, I think, maybe understandably panicky and want to do something big, sometimes the thing to do is just to take a breath and just kind of do that sort of unglamorous spade work, and things are going to work out. I really believe they do. I really believe they are. So... Anyway, next we have Jessica. Jessica's a PhD student at the Ohio State University. Uh, I added right, the, yeah. So um, now Jessica wrote in with, I think, a great email. She even included a, a bunch of pictures, which I thought was pretty cool. We hadn't gotten pictures in an email before. And I wanted to read at least part of it on the air. Uh, she writes, I'm a first-time listener of your podcast and a long-time person who needs and wants more information provided from multiple multiple perspectives or a more unbiased way, so I was very excited to discover this podcast. I really struggle listening to conservative white men talk about politics, in particular women's issues. So please know that while you may take this in a certain way, it's often a negative sexist stereotype to view feminist women as always angry. I have a few concerns listening to your last podcast, and this was a few weeks back, when Jay was talking about people's fears about the election. He thought they were unwarranted and that presidents can't do much. He also said that he didn't really know why people had these fears. Later, when talking about the march, and this was the, the women's march that came you know, right after the uh, inauguration, he said he didn't really know why people were marching. It's not your fault that you don't know why people have these fears. It's not your fault that you don't know why people are marching. It is inherently going to be confusing to you because as a straight white male, you don't know what you don't know. However, what I would encourage you to do is stop saying, I don't know why, and to start asking why. And when you start asking why, don't look for a way to argue against it. You have to be curious. You have to truly want to know. Take a women's and gender studies class like my boyfriend has. Start talking to feminists. Start talking to activists. Nobody's asking you to change your political stance, but I am asking you to stop coming from a place of ignorance that can be used as a defense. So there you go. Um, wow. Jay, thoughts on that? Well, well, first, first I, I, I do, in fact, talk to a lot of feminists. Um, some of your uh, best friends pretty, are feminists. Some of my best friends are feminists. Um, and, and, you know, thinking back on, on the... Uh, you know, the, the fear I've, I've written a piece and we, it hasn't come out in the newsletter yet, but it's, it's coming and it's sort of a, a, a longer sort of discussion about that. Um, no, uh, look, we, we can't, uh, no one can necessarily get out of, of, of where they're from. Um, uh, you know, but, but I also think if there's going to ever going to be any discussion on, on issues that are, uh, 
important level between people of different types. Uh, there has to be that understanding that that maybe they can, and I, and I think Jessica recognizes that. Uh, you know, she just thinks I need to get <clears throat> talk to, to more feminists, and and maybe I do. But my my point is not even so much. I I, I can make some statements that have nothing to do with that that are true, regardless of of uh, my my race or gender. And that is a president doesn't have as much power as you think he does. Um, you know, for example, if um, uh, uh, Neil Gorsuch were to be affirmed uh, tomorrow, which he won't be tomorrow, but probably in a couple months, um, y- you know, Roe versus Wade will not change. Uh, there was the, so you would have the same ideological lineup that you've had for, for all this time. Uh the the decision hasn't you know really substantially changed uh, that much um, since the early 90s, and I, I don't think I don't think it would. Um, so to the extent that you know you say a, a man can't understand those things, um, you know I, I disagree. I think this is just a, a matter of here's what uh, the courts can do, here's what uh, presidents can do, and and I I think what he can do is is less than what a lot of other folks think. Um, you know, and I, I guess I guess that's really the the best way I I can respond to it. Uh, and I appreciate you listening, and I uh, appreciate you writing. Um, yeah. Uh, but uh, you know, I think that's that's where I'm coming from. I'm I'm and, and I'm still a little bit, uh, you know, I'll say I'm a little bit confused to exactly what the women's march is, is was about. Uh, and it's not because I'm I'm ignorant, but because I've I've heard a whole lot of different stories from different people. Sure, there's not one uh, there's some, not one some, specific some, narrative. Some people are saying, well, it's about uh, it's about Roe versus Wade. Other people are saying it's about the this the general uh, uh, you know misogynist uh, type type statements that Trump has made throughout his lifetime and continues to make. Um, others others you know statements are just we're just resisting for what I'm, I'm not exactly sure uh other statements have been the you know listen it's just to make women's voices heard which i'm i'm not entirely sure what that means um you know so so look that's that's kind of where i am and, and also i think to a large part marches um marches don't help people's causes as much as they like to think they do it's something that that makes you feel good about yourself and and it's a lot of fun. And I've been in marches. Uh, and so have you, Mike. That's right. Um, but uh, does it uh, does it really change the thing, change the facts on the ground? Typically not. So. Well, and that, that's the, the concern that I've a lot of – well, that's a concern that a lot of liberals have. And, and I think rightly so is that we need to take that energy that was so, I think, wonderfully displayed – in these marches, this this energy and this anger that they uh, that a person who many believe to be a uh, misogynistic sexual predator who has nominated people to many high positions who seem to be uh, in favor of policies that will in in very real ways hurt women that we should speak out and organize against this person and his administration. I agree with that sentiment in in many ways, but I think the kind of and this is where I agree with you, Jay. Is the kind of organization that really matters in the end is the day-to-day sort of stuff when the cameras are off and just that constant pressure uh, that it, that is really going to make a difference. And what uh, congressional candidate are you running in? What district? You know, and are they going to win? Absolutely, and I really hope my side does that. Okay, you know, um, I'll, I'll, I want to throw one out, one more thing sure. on the the misogyny thing. And, and I'm not saying Jessica has accused me of, of being misogynist. No. At least I don't think she has. Um, but 
but look, I've got I've got three daughters, um, and and I very much want them to live in a world where they are. I'm I'm raising them to be strong, independent women, uh, and and to to you know. <laughs> to, I expect fully that they're going to have all the, the equal rights that any other citizen of this country ought to have. Uh, and uh, if if someone were to say that uh, they wouldn't, then uh, I would I would oppose them. Um, and I, I just want to get that out there because a lot of people on the left, again, just sort of paint the right with a broad brush. And if you are opposed to a certain policy, well, you must be whatever, misogynist, racist, uh, so forth. Uh, when in fact you can care very much for for uh, people uh, who are different than you, even I'm talking about my own kids, um, with without it being, you know, it's just a difference in in policy. Sure. Yeah. Absolutely. All right. Well, next we have Cat from Memphis, Tennessee. Cat writes, "I used to get all my news from Fox." Gasp. It was a college boyfriend influence. Whatever. It is past. That's good to hear, Kat. Um, she says, anyway, over this last election cycle, I found this podcast and realized that maybe I have had this wrong. I was in my own echo chamber and really only heard one side. I started seeking out liberal-leaning podcasts and even tried to watch CNN coverage for most of the election. I followed left and right journalists on Twitter and really began to challenge my previously held beliefs. That was because of you guys and your podcast. What you do is amazing and so needed. With fake news rampant these days, I tend to find myself looking to your show for a summary of both viewpoints. I can honestly say that I have agreed and disagreed with you both equally, and I believe I am a better American citizen for it. Thank you for all that you're doing. Oh, thank you, Kat. That means, I mean, that, that, you know, that means a lot. Thank I you. wanted to read that because it, that's exactly what we're hoping to do what we've always hoped to do with this show and it is so encouraging and I think it's just such a great thing when when we hear that if even one person uh, is exposed to some different viewpoints and it kind of listens to and considers different viewpoints because of what we're doing I think that that makes it so worthwhile what we're doing so thank you very much yeah and and, and you know it's it's one of these things that Mike you would agree with me on this uh, on on one level it's sure it's fun that I would love to see my side win every argument. Uh, but, but what's more important is that, that, uh, everybody sort of thinks about the argument. And I guess that's, that's the bigger thing to me. And I think Mike, you'd probably agree with that too. Oh, certainly. Yeah, definitely. Okay. Well, next is Tim who writes, I'm a senior at the university of Delaware with a double major in political science and public policy. Additionally, I plan to attend law school next fall as I feel it is the best way to make policy change in this country on the issues I care about, such as criminal justice reform, which I'm glad to hear you guys seem to agree on. I would just like to say it is extremely refreshing to hear someone talk about politics and policy in a way that is both high quality and in-depth. Many issues in politics and policy are complicated and need to be discussed in an extensive and thorough manner. I can barely watch cable news now as it normally devolves into shouting matches and hyperbolic statements. Thank you for bringing clarity to these issues. I wish I could contribute to the show, but I am a broke college student, unfortunately. My question, uh, we hear yeah, you. Well, we've been there. My question, been there. my question for you is, what steps can be taken to reduce the polarization in this country? I would argue that we are more, more divided than we have been since the late 1960s and arguably since the Civil War. We're highly divided by race, class, gender, and perhaps most significantly, geography. The urban-rural divide is the greatest indicator of our divided nation. Polarization, as indicated by much of the political science literature, is not good for a nation. Are there policy proposals that can address this? For example, 
bringing back pork barrel spending might encourage people to vote for pragmatists rather than ideologues. Um, what do you think, Jay? That's that's a really good question um, on the pork barrel spending. On, on the first thing on on what can we do? Uh, I've I've recommended this this book before, and and I recommend it again, and and maybe uh, you've already read it, but uh, Charles Murray's uh, coming, coming apart, apart. Mm-hmm. Um, which uh, he wrote came out a couple years ago. And and in many ways was was so I mean before anyone even thought that there might be a Trump presidency, but is so prescient uh, in terms of of the divide that you talk about, particularly this this urban rural divide, um, and he he phrases it a little bit differently, but um, it's 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 a fascinating book, and uh, you know his his recommendation is just to try to you know for everyone to work to get outside their bubble. Uh, and that makes it more difficult when these divisions are geographic, when you live around all the people and you work with people who, again, come from the, the same sort of mindset that you do. Um, but uh, absolutely recommend uh, Charles Murray's book and uh, a lot of his, his uh, uh, speeches and talks you can find on, on YouTube. Um, and again, fascinating, really smart guy. Um, the other piece of, of how do we deal with the – polarization and I'm uh, this is going this is going way back and uh Mike is something of a a student of of stoic philosophy um uh that most people probably don't don't know about um but uh a long time back a, a guy named Epictetus uh wrote that there are there is and it, it comes up the, the translation is a little clumsy because I'm translating from the Greek and then I think from the Latin but it's it's the sense that there are two handles by which you can grasp a problem. Mm-hmm. Uh, so if your your brother offends you, um, there there's one handle by which it can be born and one handle by which it cannot be born. If you take the the uh, problem in that uh, I have been offended uh, and this uh, by my brother, that's that's the handle by which it cannot be born. If you take it by the handle of this is my brother who happens to have offended me. Uh, that's the easier way to do it. Um, and again, that that comes off a little clumsy. Uh, but but what he's what he's saying is let's look for the commonalities. And uh, regardless, I may disagree with lots of my my fellow Americans, uh, but they are if I view them first and foremost as as fellow Americans and neighbors uh, and and people I would assume to be of goodwill. Uh, you know, maybe we start there rather than. Uh, you're an idiot, you're wrong, <laughs> and you just happen to live in the same country as I do. Um, and again, that's all easier said than done, but sure. I guess that's, you know, well, I, best I, advice I, certainly, I can give. Yeah. certainly a big fan of, of inserting Epictetus into uh, into an explanation, suggestion, argument, People don't talk possible. about Epictetus enough. Wonderful guy. I've read the discourses uh, probably, geez, a dozen times at this point, pretty much read them every day. But, you know, I think that's some, that's some great advice, Jay. I guess what I would also suggest kind of along the same lines is obviously it starts – Poor spending. Well, no, no, I think <laughs> they're – you know, more, yeah. And then that was that was changed, I think, unfortunately, uh, not not that long ago, really. And 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 certainly kind of appealing to that sort of, well, what's what's in it for me sort of thing a materialist kind of motive, pragmatist motives may be helpful. But I think fundamentally, Jay, I agree with you that we need to think about our, our basic assumption. There are two things here I would suggest. Number one is and this is something I try to do and struggle with is. I try to always ask myself, well, 
what if I'm wrong? Um, and I, I try to recognize that I could be wrong. Like, for instance, and I've been really struggling with it this week. I'm trying to put together an article on this maybe for the newsletter in a couple of weeks. But I'm trying to ask myself right now, under what conditions, what would have to happen for me to conclude that Donald Trump was not a bad or is not a bad president? And if I say that there are no possible conditions under which I would judge a Trump presidency as a success, I'm just as guilty of the sort of closed-mindedness that I accuse my conservative friends of having, many of them, when when uh, Barack Obama was president. You know, I, that, the thought to me that – and I had a number of conservative friends where I would say, can you name one positive thing about – or suggest one positive thing about Barack Obama? And they, they just couldn't. And I thought – my God, that's that's awful. That's that's ridiculous. And so am, am I that person just on the other side? So I really try to constantly question that to myself. A second thing I try to really do is to assume that the motives of other people, most other people with whom I disagree, are kind of similar to my motives. And my motives are I want a, a, a better, fairer, more prosperous, freer country with with rights for all. And I think most Americans want that, genuinely want that. And we can differ in terms of how we think that can be achieved. But I think most Americans and almost everyone in politics honestly has mostly good, positive, patriotic, America-loving type motives. And if we start from that premise and only discard that premise, if we have strong, strong evidence to the contrary, I think it's going to be a lot easier for us to hear each other. Yeah, no, I, I agree. So, uh, I w- yeah. So, okay. That's good. Uh, next, we have, uh, let's see, longtime listener Axel from Portland who writes, I love the show and I know you guys are trying hard to keep a cool head during all this, but frankly, I'm a bit put off at Jay's continual attempts to legitimize Trump, even trying, Jeez. yeah, I know, Jay, um, even trying to somehow decode his words and insanity. And I'm thinking about the fake news thing we talked about on the show on Sunday here. Um, the president is acting unconstitutionally and harming the country. Case closed. Bannon is a white supremacist. Case closed. Isn't it enough to just admit that Trump is a disaster for this country? Again, much respect, but you guys kind of sound a bit nuts trying to intelligently discuss a madman. Wow, well, that kind of goes back to your your last point, I guess. Um, uh, a part of you know part of the reason, if, if folks are saying I'm soft on Trump, uh, again, my goal here is not to uh, defend or promote any particular candidate or, or anything like that, but it's more to, to try to examine what's going on, um, get a sense of what's really, really happening. Um, you know, is Steve Bannon a white supremacist? Uh, perhaps. I, I, I don't know. Uh, could the Trump presidency turn out to be a total disaster? It very well could. And I think I've been, been pretty clear about that. Um, and that there were, uh, you know, just about any other Republican uh, I would rather have seen uh, be president. Um, but by the same token, I, I, you know, I think what I want to take issue with is a lot of sort of the alarmism uh, and the 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 idea that this is this is horrible, terrible before it even starts. Um, let's criticize him on what he screws up and uh, what he doesn't screw up. And I think on the Sunday show we were pretty clear he's screwed up the executive order. Uh, I think he's uh, he's screwed up uh, a lot of things. He's put himself in a position where uh, he's he's arguing that uh, he's he's become such a a, a divisive figure uh, that things are going to be difficult. And 
you know, I, I think I've been clear on personally, I think he's, he's, uh, generally a, a pretty crummy person. Um, uh, but, but beyond that, he's, he's the president and, you know, what yeah. we're doing here is looking at what, what is he doing as, as president? And, uh, um, if I were just here to kind of condemn him on, on his character, well, it'd be sort of a boring show for the next four years. So, yeah, well, you know, I, I, I understand, I think where Axel's coming from and, and, and I agree that Donald Trump is, uh, ethically, morally, uh, temperamentally, an awful choice for President of the United States. And I think it's very possible that it's going to, he's going to lead to a lot of policies and some long-term damage. It's going to take a while to, to repair. But I agree with you, Jay, in that it's not so much that I'm keeping an open mind. I guess it is, but it's that I want to see exactly what these policies are. I don't have a problem believing, certainly, that Steve Bannon may in fact be a, a white supremacist, and that I think is is horrible. Uh, but what I'm even more concerned about is what sort of influence is he going to have on actual policies that the Trump administration puts out there. And so so I agree with you on that, but I also see where Axel's coming from. Um all right. right. Um, let's. I mean, let's. Yeah. Let's take it as it comes. Let's. Let's take things up, and we'll take it up on the merits of, of each individual case. Absolutely. Yeah. Next, we have Kathy from Charleston, Illinois. Kathy writes, "Hi, Mike and Jay. I had a comment regarding the podcast on President Trump's transition. Like Jay, I don't typically fear a new administration's future actions. In this case, though, I do have concerns which go beyond. I wonder where a potential Supreme Court justice nominee will fall on the ideological spectrum." While that may be a major issue for some, as an independent-slash-fiscal conservative, I don't foresee that my world will fall apart based on this or any other single-issue item since implementing policy is difficult due to checks and balances. However, I do fear that this president speaks, or tweets, whatever runs through his brain without thought or attempt at diplomacy or tact. International incidents ensue. ensue sorry. Invite dare Kim Jong-un to just try and launch nukes against us? It could happen, and a nuclear war with North Korea or Iran would ruin my day. Use black sites to waterboard U.S. citizens suspected to be terrorists, or at least who are dissenters, Muslims, insert every other group President Trump sees as dangerous to his alternative fact-based world. That's frightening. What do you think, Jay? I mean, do you agree? No, I I. I I think I do. I mean, in that uh, Trump, the stuff that he says and throws out there without thinking is is problematic. Um, I I have I guess greater faith in the um, I don't know what the what the best best word is the um, the ability of our our country to it's 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 more durable than uh, than I think people give it credit for. Sure. Um, well, you know, I, I agree with the, you on that. Though. There's there's more stretch in there than than people uh, give give it credit for, and there's there's also more force there. And and look, you're seeing that with the uh, immigration order, which you know I can disagree with with the court to some extent. I, I I do agree with the court if this wasn't clear from last time um, on the due process folks uh, who have a a, a right, uh, you know, green cards and so forth. Absolutely. Uh, courts right there. Uh, I, I disagree um, with when we're talking about presidential authority, even though I, I agree that there was, you know, Justice Scalia used to say he has a had a stamp in his office that said uh, uh, dumb, but constitutional. Yes. Um, but but my my bigger point is, look, the the courts have stopped him uh, on this. 
there there are checks and balances in the system. Uh, and uh, this president is going to receive more press scrutiny than probably any president we can remember, um, you know, perhaps ever. Uh, and and uh, there are going to be more judicial challenges and, and there's going to be more and, and more vociferous challenges uh, from the opposition party, uh, not not only because of the actual policies, but because of the way he he presents them because sure. of the, the tweets, the, the so forth. Um, I'm, I'm not a fan of, of that you know, manner of discourse. Uh, and, uh, um, but, but I, I, I still, I guess I have, I have uh, greater faith in, uh, 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 our country, our institutions, um, uh, that I, I don't, I don't fear, uh, the, the presidency of, of, of one man. Well, you know, I agree in, with- in, the, in the, in the terms of, and again, in terms of personal fear, there's a lot of things of, Geez, I'm afraid of trade. You know, a trade war would tank our economy. Yeah, I'm afraid. I mean, there, there are those things. Yes, where I uh, concerned, but I, I think what I was trying to differentiate when we were talking a couple of weeks ago was that there was an actual, you know, real visceral fear that like this guy really is, you know, Hitler or Mussolini or some sort of dictator, and I, I, I just don't, I just don't see that uh, that as being the case. I, I agree. He is a he is a jackass of the the highest level, um, but uh, you know. Well, I'll agree with you to a certain extent. Uh, say in political science, there's a concept called the two presidencies. This idea that that uh, really to understand the presidency, you have to separate out it out into the what you call the foreign policy slash defense, national security presidency, and domestic politics. And when you take a look at checks and balances in these two areas uh, and democratic constraints, they tend to be a lot stronger when it comes to domestic policies and issues. And so presidents always have a lot more freedom when it comes to foreign policy, defense, security policy. And so that means there are good reasons for that, but it means that a, a bad president, an intemperate president could potentially do a lot more damage in that area. Now, I don't think it's going to be so bad as getting us into a war. I certainly hope not. But I understand that concern, and I, I'll say that I don't think it's it's exact. I wouldn't call it baseless because presidents can do a lot more for better or worse. Well, I, and I would realm. agree with you there. I, 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 that's a that's a non frivolous concern. Yeah. yeah. All right. Um, next we have Christopher from Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. Christopher writes, "I just wanted to give some feedback on how much I really enjoyed the listener mail the last couple episodes." This is a reminder to me that I'm not alone in how worked up your show can make me sometime. It's also an eye-opener of how good that may be for me. Thanks for everything you do and keep up the good work. And, well, you know, Christopher. I mean, our, our goal, I don't want to get people worked up. I mean, I think just well, I think that's inspire, what, inspire thoughts. You know? Well, one of the reasons I think we that it's important to do listener mail and to respond directly to listeners is giving it that kind of feedback and letting people know that yeah, there you know there are a lot of people who have very serious and real concerns about things, and we don't take those lightly, you know. And we try to understand those concerns because we're just we're two middle-aged white guys, and it's helpful for us to get feedback and concerns from other people. Because even if we don't end up agreeing entirely with your concern, we always take them seriously. We consider them. We take them into account. And I think that makes us better at what we do and makes our show uh, better and more useful to more people. I hope so. I hope so. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and finally today, we have Martin who wrote in with a comment on the politicsguys.com website. 
Martin writes, I listened to your episode a week or so late, and I just wanted to comment on something from the beginning of the show, specifically Jay's response when Mike brought up the Mexico City policy. And Jay, that I'm sure you remember that's that policy that prohibits uh, that prohibits right. uh, foreign is it foreign aid to uh, to groups that counsel or, or counsel abortion abortion services. Which yeah, is, this was yes. done under President Reagan in the 80s. As I remember it, Martin writes, Jay scoffed and said he didn't want to pay for anyone's abortion, so he was in favor of it. I'm not going to argue that Jay should be against the reinstatement of the Mexico City policy, but his response was simply factually inaccurate. The global gag rule is about speech, not direct U.S. taxpayer funding for abortions, which was prohibited by the 1973 Helms Amendment. It prohibits NGOs receiving government money from discussing families, uh, uh, sorry, from discussing families about abortion as an option, promoting changes to their own country's abortion laws, and providing abortions with their own separate funds, not U.S. funds. I also want to say that it is not only disappointing to hear this inaccuracy, but the tone with which the health and well-being of women and girls around the world were dismissed with a scoff. They deserve more respect than that. Jay, um. Thoughts wow. on that? Everybody's beating up on me. You know, I don't know. I just, just read them as they come in. I'm not cherry picking them. I promise. No, Martin. Here, here's where I am, and and, and uh, I, I guess what I'm I'm sort of perplexed by uh, is the idea that the U.S. government ought to spend money. Or first of all, what what money is needed uh, to counsel abortion services? Um, uh, secondly, money is fungible. Uh, the the idea typically with NGOs who would counsel abortion services is that they would uh, point you to someone who provides them. Uh, uh, I, I I I a little I guess I'm skeptical if, if we have uh, groups that uh, would receive money and then would counsel against abortion. Uh, I I you know it's to me I, I think it's it's a uh, uh, this is one of these things, and, and I can uh, do some digging and come back, uh, you know, next week, maybe in the newsletter, uh, with how this this money is spent. But uh, regardless, I, you know, a, a global gag order. It, it's one of these things that either you, if you want to accept the money, you can accept the money. If if you don't, then you don't. And um, uh, I, well, I guess I'm I'm just uh, well, we- I'm, I'm perplexed at where that money goes in the first place. Um, so. Well, well, I think this is one of these issues more than almost anything else. Perhaps guns maybe come to mind a little bit as well. Um, that it's so easy for us to talk past each other, and, and I get that. I'm sure I've been guilty of it as well. I try to remind I try to remind myself because I I agree with what I understand to be Martin's position on this is I am not in favor of the global gag order. I'm not in favor of the Helms Amendment. I think that I think that it's a good idea to provide uh, safe uh, abortion services for women in certain circumstances. At, and the problem, I think, is I try to keep in mind that there are many people who start from a very different fundamental assumption to me, and that is that these are people, many of them are religious people, which which I am not in that traditional Abrahamic religion kind of sense, that life begins at birth and – or sorry, begins at – jeez, begins at conception. We all believe yeah. life, you're alive when you're born. But life begins at conception, and that is the potential human life, and so that life is ensouled, and so doing that is just as much murder – as, you know, if someone shot me or you. Now, I do not agree with that. I think that is absolutely wrong-headed, 
But I understand that that is a sincerely held belief. And if I felt that someone was just going around, say, shooting babies or killing babies because it, because of, you know, whatever, rape or even rape or incest or things like that, I would have big problems with that. Now, so I don't agree with that analogy, understand? But I know a lot of people do see it that way. I think they're wrong. But once you take that fundamental assumption, if you, if you start from that fundamental assumption, of course, you're going to see abortion as this horrific, horrific thing. And that, to me, helps me sort of understand that these are not evil people who hate women. These are people who honestly see this as the slaughter of countless millions of innocents. Now, I don't agree with that, but I think that's where they're coming from. I, they're not coming from a place of hatred from women. At least most of them are. And, and so that's, I think, why it's so difficult to see that. Also, I think it's just as important for people on the, often on the right to understand that the people on the left here, people like myself, are not coming at this from a position of, I want to see dead babies and I, you know, I hate babies and life and so forth. But I see this as a, as an issue of, of women oftentimes in horrifically bad situations who this is a, I think this is the, the best option both for, you know, both for the woman and for what might be a truly awful life for this, uh, you know, this potential baby to be under certain circumstances. And so I think there's not enough consideration of that really on both sides in this issue. Well, and I'm going to weigh in just one, one other little piece in that, look, I'm, I'm pretty pro-life but i'm i'm not uh evangelical uh, that's not uh that's not sort of my my focus or what drives me in politics um but this is also the bigger issue of of why why would we spend u.s taxpayer money um on you know to to tell other have other people in other countries lobby for uh, uh abortions um i mean it's it just it to me it seems this is this is something that that uh, you know, and I'm sure it's it's a less than uh, than uh, you know a percentage of a drop in the bucket uh, when we talk about global budgeting. But um, this just seems as, as to something that uh, there's no need for us to spend uh, uh, our taxpayer money with. And if if uh, people in other countries want to counsel abortions, they're they're free to do it. But uh, I, I you know, well, don't see why I, we should have to pay for it. Yeah, I think reasonable people can disagree uh, about this. I mean, I see it as a you know, I see it as a, a foreign policy choice, and you know, part of what we do so with with a very small portion of our budget, people always greatly overestimate the amount of money that goes to foreign aid. It is is a, a real drop in the bucket, but we make choices about what we think will make the world better and safer and more secure, and we try to help people out when we can. And and some people, myself included, believe that uh, helping provide, uh, you know, abortion counseling and even abortion services uh, is helpful in that way. And of course, other people don't believe that. And that's the kind of thing that's worked out through the democratic process. It's how we get these policies. So... All right. Well, that about does it for this episode. Uh, thanks, everyone, for listening. If you have any listener mail you'd like us to respond to, questions for future episodes, any thoughts, comments, criticisms, what have you, Jay pointed out he's been getting it pretty hard lately. Uh, if you got some criticisms about me, about yeah, life. you know, there you go. I, I'd love to hear that, too. Um, put me on the defensive. We'll see how that works out. 
But we would love to hear from you. Our email, mail at politicsguys.com. And our Facebook page, we post stuff throughout the week there, facebook.com slash politicsguys page. We're also on Twitter at politicsguys. I post stuff there all the time, including some, uh, I think, somewhat interesting responses to President Trump. Um, and we'd really appreciate it if you could subscribe to the show, leave a review on iTunes, Stitcher, whatever podcast service you use. Sharing and retweeting our new show post, one of the best ways to expand the audience. It really helps us out a lot. So if you could do that, that would be great. If you'd like to support the show financially, you can do that through the Patreon or PayPal links on our website. And finally, if you enjoy the show, you should check out the Politics Guys weekly newsletter. You can take a look at previous newsletters and sign up and have it it delivered every week to your email inbox on our website, politicsguys.com. We'll be back with a new show next Wednesday. We hope you'll join us.